This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Thanks for listening, friend. We're back today with another episode. And as someone who has definitely had my share of faith questions, my desire is to create an invitational place for people to process and address questions about God and Christianity. I hope finding something real is a bridge, a place where a young woman who has questions can talk with someone who's dived deep into some answers. Because if Jesus Christ is who he says he is, he's got answers. And the real things we deeply desire, restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love, those are things that can ultimately be found in him. And that's what today's episode is about. That's what this podcast is all about. I invite young women, no matter what their background or beliefs are, to join me on a journey to share their stories, and if they want, to co-host these episodes with me. Today, my Danish exchange daughter, Sina, is back, and while she didn't want to talk much, she was willing to show up and be part of this. And so, Sina, if you're listening, I'm just going to tell you that you are one of the bravest young women that I know, and I am so grateful for who you are, and especially for your presence. And listener, today's returning guest, Frank Turek, if you don't know about his ministry, please do yourself a favor and go and check out his stuff. Specifically, I want to point you to his YouTube channel, at Crossexamined. Join the over half a million subscribers who, like me, learn from the way he talks to people who have faith questions. I especially enjoy listening to how he responds on college campuses during the Q&A at the end of his talks. And I love what he shares in this particular conversation with Sina, that it doesn't bother him when people disagree with him, because there was a time in his life when he disagreed with the things that he so boldly shares about now. I've had the privilege of meeting and talking both to him and his ministry team in person, and I'm telling you, friend, the work that they are doing is pretty incredible. Frank's book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, that he co-authored with the late Norm Geisler, is one of the best resources out there for someone who has questions about the logical reasons behind the Christian faith. As he shares today, faith is trusting what we have good evidence to believe is true. And I'll put all the links in the show notes, all the things that we discuss today, all that to say, I'm incredibly honored to share this conversation with you. Hi friend, this podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for finding something real listeners to get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode. 
So what if you maybe believe in God and mm-hmm. or even start accepting the resurrection of Jesus as a historical fact? Mm-hmm. Why should that have any bearing on your life? And if you come to the point where you believe it is important and relevant, how do you go from belief that to trust in? We're going to talk about that today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. You're listening in for season six. This month, our content is being curated by a special young woman, our Danish exchange daughter, Sina. Thank you for coming back here. Yeah, thank you for having me. You've had some time to process since our last talk with Claudia. I'm just going to get emotional about it, and I don't want to. So, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll get there to, to be able to just have a conversation about it, you know? Let's um, talk about having a talk Yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's have a conversation about having a conversation. <laughs> we will. Here to talk with us today <laughs> is a special returning guest. You've already heard him uh, talk a few times. When he was here the last time, a friend of mine listened to that podcast conversation and texted me uh, with this. She said, I wonder if I would have been a more trusting follower of Jesus if I had a personal talk with Frank as a young woman. He has such a way of explaining what it means to be a believer. Wow. Thank you for working so hard to put these conversations into a podcast. It's a gift. That was my that was from my friend Janice, who's also a Patreon supporter of the show. I agree with Janice's assessment of today's guest. He has a special gift for explaining things. In fact, Dr. Frank Turek is a dynamic speaker and award-winning author. He's the president of crossexamine.org, and he presents powerful and entertaining evidence for Christianity at churches, high schools, and secular college campuses. He's talked to a lot of people. Uh, He's debated several prominent atheists, including Christopher Hitchens and Michael Shermer. Um, He hosts an hour-long TV program each week called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. He also hosts a popular weekly radio program and podcast. Widely featured guest in the media as a leading apologetics expert and cultural commentator, and he's appeared on hundreds of radio programs and many top TV networks. Um, He has a master's degree from George Washington University and a doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He and his wife, Stephanie, are blessed with three grown sons and two grandsons so far. (laughs) I know he's one of the busiest people I know, um, and I'm so grateful that he made time today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, Frank. And now we really are completely out of time. (laughs) You didn't have to read all that. Come on. I wanted wanted to. I wanted wanted to say all that. Tell me about one of your current projects that you'd love to share with uh, the listener. Current projects. Well, we're we're in the process of updating the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist DVD set with new stuff in it. Uh, we're creating new courses all the time. We're going through archaeology in the Bible on our TV show. We started in Genesis. We're going all the way to Revelation. Right now, we're still in Exodus, and we've done seven one-hour shows. We're still in Exodus. That's how much archaeology is out there. Uh, what else are we doing? Um, just released a, uh, expanded edition of correct, not politically correct. That just came out because the transgender issue is such a hot issue right now. Hmm. Um, we have two grandsons and we're hoping we're going to get more, but that's not up to us. (laughs) Is it? Oh man. I love all that. We got CIA coming up and you'll be there, Janelle. I'm excited. Albuquerque cross-examine instructor Academy. That's right. And I've been to Denmark, by the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, where yeah, at? I, I spoke at, uh, where did I speak? Arus. Does that make sense? Am I pronouncing that right? University <laughs> of Arus. She's not sparking she's on this. Like, <laughs> she's looking it's very in, confused. 
It's north of Copenhagen. Oh. Arus. Oh, yeah. You don't say the R. Oh. How do you how say it? How do you it? say it? Give like a little like um, Aarhus. Aarhus. No R. Well, there's an R, but we don't pronounce it like uh, Americans do. No. It's like the V in my name. You like the, it's there, but uh, you don't really say it like most people in America <laughs> would think you do. Well, so look, you got a, you got a lot of extra letters in your name we don't pronounce. Yeah, actually, yeah, probably. Why do you guys put those extra letters in there? What's going on? Well, we do pronounce them. You're it's... trying to confuse Americans? <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> you should ask her how many variations of her name she's heard this year. Uh, yeah. How many different ways have, have people said your name? Oh, I've had so many, like 15 different. And there's a new one, like all the time. I'm like, I've never heard that one before. What's been your favorite? The most common. Yeah. Which you're, one? You're, yeah, what's the favorite? Um, it, I don't know. Sign comes like a lot and signy. Well, the, the Americans would pronounce that sign illy. <laughs> With your last name too. <laughs> yeah, that's what we'd say. We'd say yeah. sign illy. <laughs> Howdy, sign illy. Yeah. One of her best friends here is another exchange student, and she's been calling her what? What is it? Signy, all all year, it's right? Signy, it's usually signy. what goes by. But all like, there's so many. There's a guy that calls me. Some sometimes I go by Signal because Signal. Jason calls me Signal, and that's kind of been catching on to more people. And Sigma, right. a lot of versions. Well, you know, these are all names of endearment. Yeah, my teacher called me Sene for like five months what how should she have said it no yeah. i don't care i just go by whether whatever so if Some, we called you if we called you bob that would be okay that would be fine they uh <laughs> it's like it's like a mix sometimes they'll get it right and then the next day they can't pronounce it cine cena cena yeah see that should be an a not an e then <laughs> See, you're confusing us all right frank you're a super busy person why did you come why did you agree to come back here today well to talk to you guys about god and jesus and why we should even believe this stuff yeah you weren't always a christian in fact i think i remember you came to faith later in life would you mind sharing a little bit of your faith journey with cena who hasn't heard our last conversation oh well i always believed in god because i knew there had to be a creator there had to be a cause behind all this I just didn't know who Jesus was. See, I was brought up in a Roman Catholic uh, home, and uh, I went to Roman Catholic high school, but I don't know if it was my fault or their fault or both, but I never really knew, who's, what's this guy hanging on a cross for? What, what is that all about? Never really knew it until I was in the Navy, and I met the son of a Methodist minister, and I had so many questions for him. He finally said, look, you just need to get Josh McDowell books, Evidence Demands a Verdict and More Than a Carpenter. So I read those books and I said, wow, the evidence appears to show that Christianity is indeed true. And then when I realized who Jesus was, that he is God adding flesh to his deity to come to earth, live the perfect life in our place, and then take our punishment on himself. So we don't have to be punished for the evil we've done and we've all done evil. He's punished in our place. And so by trusting in him, we're not only forgiven, we're given his righteousness, his righteous life. So when God sees us, he sees Jesus. And 
were forgiven. Uh, so I didn't I didn't realize that until I was after college and I was already in the Navy. And then after I was done with the Navy, I came to Southern Evangelical Seminary here in Charlotte, North Carolina to learn more. And that's how I got doing what I'm doing. What were you going to do with your life before you became a Christian? Well, originally, um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an airline pilot. and But my eyes weren't good enough in the Navy to do that. So I was a backseater in the Navy. And then when I got out of the Navy, I thought I would get involved in teaching of some kind because I was good at teaching in the Navy. And so I, that's what I did for corporate America for like 17 or 18 years mm. from, let's see, from... From 1993 to 2011, that's what I did for a living. I I did leadership training. I did sales training. I did team building. I did all that stuff for corporate America. Uh, and then when I got fired by Cisco and Bank of America because I had written this book, correct, not politically correct, and this is now the new edition of it, by the way, um, uh, about the issue of same-sex marriage, uh, they fired me, not because I was talking about this book at work, because in the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, I was excluded and not tolerated for holding a diverse view. Mm. You see how that works? So uh, I've noticed that some people who say they're fighting for tolerance are not very tolerant at all. Mm. And uh, so in 2011, I had already started crossexamine.org back in like 2006, so I was kind of doing two things at once. I was doing corporate training. I was also doing apologetics because I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That came out in 2004. So I had already been doing apologetics uh, and uh, those kind of things prior to 2011. But after 2011, since I was too politically incorrect, apparently to work in corporate America, I just went full time with cross-examine. So I've only been doing this full time since what, for 12 years now. Wow. A lot of people become Christians, maybe they keep it to themselves, or they just tell a few people. You've gone around the world uh, boldly talking about issues that people find controversial, uh, the existence of God, resurrection, gender identity stuff, all of those things. Um, why do you keep speaking up about these things, Frank? What compels you to be so vocal about your faith? Well, if you truly want to love people, you have to tell them the truth. I mean, I always ask parents, I say, parents, if you approve of everything your kid wants to do when your kid is 12 or 13, are you a loving parent? No, of course not. You, you can't approve of everything somebody wants to do. That's not love. That's enablement. See, we th our culture thinks that love is you'll approve of everything I want to do. That's not love. You need to stand in the way of evil if you're going to love somebody. You see somebody about to walk in front of a bus you don't go, oh, I approve of what you're doing. No, you say you push that person out of the way. You go, don't do that. What are you, crazy? Mm -hmm. Right? You see them about to get involved in drugs or they're about to get involved in pornography or they're about to get involved in, in some sort of thievery. You're going to go, don't do that. Why are you going to do that? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. It's not right. So if you love people, you'll tell them the truth. And that's hopefully... Why I'm or what I'm trying to do is try and tell people the truth in as palatable a way as I can. Hmm. Well, I just have to say, I mean, I've met you in person. You, <laughs> you got to listen to my quickly prepared presentation last year. Um, I know 
I mean, I, I've observed the way you interact with people and uh, you're very kind and uh, gracious and generous, but I've also heard you present and you're very bold and you say things that people don't like, I'm sure. And so I would guess that you've gotten a lot of pushback and a lot of criticism. Uh, I, I can only guess what some of those criticisms might be. But I'm wondering if that ever bothers you and how you respond to the fact that you are different in a culture that's increasingly going a different direction. Well, what I always ask people is, by what moral standard are you making this complaint? Like, for example, it's no secret that one of the big dividing lines between people who believe in the Bible and people who don't is the issue of sexuality, right? What is the proper way to comport yourself sexually? Can you have sex with anybody whenever you want, no matter what gender or, well, most people will say no, okay? Like you have to have consent at least, right? But as long as you have consent, everything's okay. Okay, time out. Why, is, why does consent even matter? Who said? Well, it would be wrong, wrong according to what standard? What standard are you using to say that this is wrong? Now we all know you, you need consent to have sexual relations, but why? I mean, if we're just, if there's no God, if we're just overgrown germs, it doesn't really matter ultimately. There's no right or wrong, it's just your opinion. I mean, if there is no God, the Nazis were not wrong in World War II. There's no way to judge the Nazis. They were just following their, their government. But we all said, no, there's a standard beyond your government, Hitler, and you, and, and you war criminals. That standard is God's nature. If God doesn't exist, there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. And yet I see people staying away from Christianity because they disagree with Christianity's moral standard. Okay, well, tell me what standard you have and where it comes from. Because if it doesn't come from God, it's not a real standard, it's just your opinion. So I, it, it doesn't bother me when people disagree with me. Why? Because I didn't agree with me at one point, right? <laughs> I mean, when I go to college campuses and people will say, well, Frank, you know, some of those students are really ornery and you don't get mad at them. Why should I get mad at them? I mean, I'm 61. When I was 21, I didn't agree with my 61-year-old self, right? <laughs> but why would I expect some somebody who's 60, who's 21 now to agree with me? I shouldn't. So I want to hear them out. What do you have to say? What, I don't know where that person came from. I don't know what their background is. I don't know how they were brought up. I don't know what their life experience was. I don't know any of that. So I just want to hear what they have to say. And then I'll say, well, here's my, here's my position and here's why. But if you're going to say there's something morally wrong with Christianity, whether it's on the sex issues or violence or whatever you're going to say is wrong about christianity you know the bible is immoral for okay what standard are you using for that where are you getting that because it turns out that the people complaining against the bible are stealing standards from christianity to argue against christianity hmm. so i mean if there's no god there's no right or wrong so i always just go back to the standard what is what is your standard and normally people don't I haven't really thought about a standard. Oh, I'm just knocking stuff over here. I'm doing this interview. <laughs> Sorry. There you go. That's a comedy of errors right there. Something <laughs> turned on on my computer. But hopefully we're good now. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? See? So that was the interesting part of our discussion right there. Yeah, yeah. You'll remember. When Frank knocked over his iced tea. 
and had to scramble to shut everything off on his computer. <laughs> okay, question, follow-up, mm -hmm. follow-up, follow-up. Go ahead. Follow on up. what you just said. Yeah. Um, in order to be so bold about your faith, you have to have a pretty strong faith. Uh, you have mm -hmm. to be convinced that you you know where your moral compass comes from, that there is a God, all of these things, you're, you've got to be super locked in. Do you still have doubts? When we first asked uh, you to join us this time, we were going to talk about the question of how can we believe in a God we do not see and cannot touch? How can we know that he's real at all? That was one of Cena's original questions. And I know, I'm guessing, although I don't know if she wants to jump in here, there's kind of this back and forth uh, with Cena right now. Maybe like, maybe I believe this, maybe not. Some of this seems kind of crazy. How can I be sure of this? I'm, I don't know if that's where she's at, but I'm, I'm guessing just based on some private conversations. Is that okay? Did I, was that okay? Yeah. It's okay. okay. It's good. It's good. Yeah, good. The question is, how do you believe, how do you believe God exists? Because we don't believe in God because we see him directly. We believe in God because we see his effects. In other words, and this is what scientists do, they always reason from effect back to cause. So if there's a creation, and there is, scientists agree, and philosophers agree, the universe had a beginning, it's created. Uh, well, if there's a creation, you're reasoning from the effect, the creation, back to the cause, the creator. If there's design in the universe, and there is, there's fine, the universe is fine-tuned, biology is fine-tuned, then there must be a designer. You're reasoning from the effect of design back to a designer. If there's a moral law written on our hearts, and there is, we know basic right and wrong. We know it's wrong to murder people. The question is, why is it wrong to murder people? Because there's a lawgiver. There's a moral law written on our hearts. There must be a moral lawgiver. So you're reasoning from the effect back to the cause. How do we know that uh, Jesus rose from the dead? Well, if there's evidence that he predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead, and there is, that's the effect. We're reasoning from the effect back to the cause. Who could have caused someone to rise from the dead? God could have. Okay, so we're always reasoning from effect to cause. And by the way, there's a lot of things we believe that we never see. For example, you believe in your mind. Have you ever seen it? No, you're using it, right? You believe in the laws of logic and the laws of mathematics. Have you ever seen those? No, you use them every day. You believe in justice. Have you ever seen justice? No, you may have seen people treated justly or unjustly. You admit you may have been treated justly or unjustly, but you don't see it because it's not something you see. It's an immaterial reality grounded in the nature of God. Uh, you've never seen love. Everyone believes in love, but love is not something you see. You see the effect of love. You don't see it directly. You see people treated well or not, but you don't see love directly. You've never seen gravity. You say, oh no, Frank, there's gravity right there. Look, gravity is pulling that little remote to your head. No, you're not seeing gravity. What are you seeing? You're seeing the effects of gravity. We really don't even know what gravity is, but we see the effects of gravity. You've never seen uh, Napoleon. Right? But you know he existed. Why? Because he's left effects behind that are best explained by an historical figure known as Napoleon. Same thing is true with Jesus. You've never seen Jesus. But there are effects behind that cause us to say there was a man that lived about 2,000 years ago who said and did certain things. So you're always reasoning from effect to cause. Even if someone says, oh, I have a, a, 
a spiritual experience with God, you're doing the same thing. The effect is the experience, the cause you think is God. So you're always reasoning from effect to cause. You've probably never seen the island Diego Garcia. I've been there because I was in the Navy, but you've probably never seen it. You, you believe it exists. Why? Because people testify that it exists. And even though you've never seen it, in fact, most of what we believe in life, we don't see directly. We take on authority, right? Um, you don't see how your food is prepared. You don't, you don't, when you go to a restaurant and you order something, you don't, you don't know how it was prepared. You don't even know if it's poison or not. But you have enough evidence to believe that this restaurant's probably not going to poison you. When you go get a uh, prescription at the pharmacist, and uh, first of all, the doctor just prescribes something to you, and then he or she says, go to this pharmacist and get this prescription, and they hand you a bunch of pills. Do you go home and chemically test it to see what it is? No, you don't. You have enough evidence to say, I can trust that they're giving me the right medicine, and this is the right medicine. And so you, you, we all, we all live to a certain extent based on faith, and faith is trusting in what you have good evidence to believe is true. Trusting in what you have good evidence to believe is true. You don't have exhaustive evidence for anything. We don't even have an ex exhaustive evidence that, you don't have exhaustive evidence that I exist. Right. I could be a hologram. I kind of am on Zoom. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, th this could be a, comp a, a, comp a, a complete computer simu simulation. We could all be in the matrix right now. And there's no way to disprove that. Right. But we say that would be silly to believe. Um, I'm going to use my senses and my common sense and conclude certain things, even though I don't have exhaustive evidence for it, right? I mean, you're going to get on a plane in a couple of days, right? You're going to go back to uh, Denmark? Yeah. You have exhaustive evidence that the pilots are trained, the and ATC is, is going to get you home, and the airline maintenance is good, and the food they serve you isn't going to get... No, you don't have, you don't have all that evidence, right? You've got enough to say, okay, I can... I can trust that things are going to go well, even though I'm not absolutely sure I'm going to get on that plane, right? Because it'd be a long walk and a wet walk to get back to Denmark, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You only have so much evidence. The rest you got to just trust. So do I ever have faith that Christianity is true or ever have doubts? Sure. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I could be wrong. But as my friend Tim Keller has said, and he just passed on recently, as you know, he said, am I absolutely sure that my wife of 45 years is not a Russian spy under deep cover? No, I'm not as she could be, right? But I have enough evidence to say that's not a good doubt, right? It's not, a, she's not a Russian spy. She could be, I could be duped in the end. But I'm not. Does that make sense? By the way, no matter what you believe, you're taking some of it on faith. You could be an atheist. And that's why we wrote the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because you have to have a lot of faith to overlook the effects that point back to God. You've got to have a lot of faith to say, oh, there's no God. There's no cause out there. It just happened. 
without any without any mind behind it. You gotta have a lot of faith to do that. And no matter what worldview, Muslim, Hindu, agnostic, you gotta have a lot of faith to think you don't have enough evidence to make a conclusion. Or you don't think you can make a conclusion. No matter what you do, you're 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 taking a position that isn't based on a hundred percent absolute certainty. What if you don't want to make a decision because it would impact your relationships with other people that you care about? Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon. And if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month, patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there too, and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community. The most important, if God exists, the most important relationship you can have is with him. If he doesn't exist, it's irrelevant. Then no relationships are important. Why? Because what is it, what's it gonna matter in a hundred years? We're all gonna be dead. There's no ultimate meaning to it. There may be temporary meaning, you know. You have a temporary period where you either enjoy or don't enjoy, but in the end, it's all going to end. It doesn't really matter whether you're a Hitler or a Mother Teresa in the end, because if there is no afterlife, we're all just going to die and become worm food anyway. So what's the point? So why not just embrace the hedonism of today and, and enjoy the happy relationships that you have and the things that you, I mean, what's, why, why make the switch to something that could cost you everything? <laughs> because it's true. And I don't want to trade um, eternity for something temporal, right? I don't want to trade a short period of time for eternity and I would argue that you have a fuller life realizing that this is, isn't the end than you do if you think this is just the end. As C.S. Lewis famously said, if you aim just at earth or at comfort, you won't get either. But if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. You say, well, why is that? Because if I literally believe there is an afterlife, and everything I do here has some impact, not only for time and eternity, then I'm more apt to not try and be as selfish as I could be otherwise, right? I might defer and say, uh, I know there's an afterlife and I don't have to get everything I want here in this life. I don't have to walk over people to get it. I can defer to other people I can help build the kingdom. But if I think this is the only life, I may become a tyrant. I might become, and of course, religious people can become tyrants too. It's just illogical when they do that. 
But it's totally logical to become a Hitler or a Stalin if there is no God. Why? Why not kill everybody to get what you want here? Your life's going to be over soon. Why not just, as Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. So. Yeah. Well, that, well that's the point. I mean, I, I live, Sina has lived here, too, for the last 10 months. We live in a beautiful part of the country. I mean, all around, it, for me as a Christian, I see evidence of God's design, right? I mean, every day I'm out taking pictures, reminding myself, God made this. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But I would say most people come here to just enjoy their life, to enjoy mm -hmm. the here and now. And mm -hmm. more and more, that seems to be, you know, just the focus. And I, I would say, just, you know, having hosted young women in my home who don't believe, it's like, well, there's almost a comfort in the idea that there's no afterlife, because you can just enjoy what you have today. So how would you respond to that, Frank? Because that's a very common sentiment. Um, with people I talk with, like, you know what, I enjoy my life now. Um, just because there's an afterlife, like, maybe, maybe I'll get there. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. kind of good. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, one of the things that Sina has said is, why does there have to be an afterlife? Like, why did well, Sina, is that okay? Can it that I throw that in here? That was one of the things that we talked about before. Yeah. Yeah, well, there doesn't have to be an afterlife. It could be that everything ends. But then it's it's ultimately meaningless because ultimately there is no ultimate. We just all end. So what's the ultimate point? Sure, you can eat, drink, and be merry uh, now. It turns out, however, that if you really look at life, people who do that, they live the hedonistic life, they don't really get content because if you pursue the big three, the big three um, aspects or um, the big three motivators in life for many people are sex, money, and power. And John, who wrote First John, says that's really what's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Don't love those things. Those are, it's good. Sex, money, and power are good things, but if you make them ultimate things, then you become a slave to them. Like, for example... If you're um, a slave to pleasure, whether it's sex, whether it's money, it's power, are you really free if you get, say, addicted to some sort of alcohol or drug? No, you're, you're not free if you're addicted. If you get addicted to uh, pornography, are you, are you free or are you a slave? You're a slave, right? If you get addicted to money and that's all you think about and that's all you work for is money, are you free or are you a slave? No, you're not free if you become addicted to these temporary things. You're free to do... You see, we think freedom is do whatever you want. Freedom is not do whatever you want. That, that turns into slavery or to bondage. I mean, if you were to take a fish and put the fish on land, because the fish obviously isn't designed for land, is that fish free? No. The fish has to stay within certain constraints like water in order to flourish. When the fish stays in water, it can flourish. When the fish gets out of the water, gets out of its design, it doesn't flourish. And yet we see people today going against their design because they have a desire to go against their design. Well, 
If you don't, if you can't restrain certain desires, you're never going to be free. You're going to be a slave. That's that's part of the problem with people who just want to live for the now. Because if you try and just live for the now with all these temporary trying to get contentment and happiness by pursuing sex, money, and power, ultimately they're going to get enslaved somehow. And that's not going to be a pleasant way to live. It might be a pleasant way to live over the short term, right? Because over the short term, uh, you can make yourself happy doing a lot of fun, selfish, and sinful things. But over the long term, it's a disaster. Mm. And anyone that you know, gets like a little older than 40 realizes, yeah, you know, I can't really do it my way completely <laughs> because if you try and just do it your way all the time, which means you're just selfish, you want to do it your way all the time. Who's going to want to put up with that anyway? You're not going to be in a relationship very long if it's all about you all the time. Right. Um, in fact, if you follow your desires without restraint, you're probably going to wind up addicted, broken, alone, and probably prematurely dead. That's what happens when you pursue sex, money, and power without restraint. Again, sex, money, and power are good things. We all want them, and they're all good. But when you start taking shortcuts to get them, which is what sin is, that's when you run into trouble. So I would challenge the premise that long-term people are content and happy just doing whatever they want to do. In fact, uh, there's a pastor... I've got to find this. Hang on. It's a pastor by John Mark Comer. I don't know much about yeah. him. Do you know, know who he is? He's, yeah. Isn't he up Portland. there? Yeah, he's out yeah. in Portland. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just did a talk last night on should you follow your heart. And uh, here's a quote from him. Here's what he said. Giving in to the desires of our flesh does not lead us to freedom in life, as many people assume, but instead to slavery. And in the worst case scenario, addiction, which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. Mm -hmm. Wow. Prolonged suicide by pleasure. If you know anybody is addicted to anything, that is a really apt description of what happens to them. Mm. They, they can't get out of what they're doing and it's killing them. It's a prolonged suicide by pleasure. On the other hand, if you try and concentrate on pursuing God, pursuing Jesus, um, you can, as Augustine put it, find really what you've been looking for your entire life. He said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee, in God. So no matter what kind of storm comes up in this life, if you know that your ultimate rock is the creator and sustainer of life and that he has a future, eternal future for you, you can get through any difficulty here. I heard someone recently, they were saying Christianity must be true because all the teachings are so against our human <laughs> nature. And as I'm listening to you, Frank, I'm thinking, yeah, these are hard things to hear. Uh, they're not palatable to our modern uh, sensibilities, right? The things that you're saying, they're things well, that would be easy to turn away from and go, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, well, it turns out the Bible disagrees with every culture. It's not just not just our culture here in the West. Like, for example, in the West, we think um, love your neighbor or no, actually love your enemies. We go, wow, that's amazing to love your enemies. 
Yeah, that's that's a great ethic. But we generally don't agree with the Bible on sexual ethics. You know, we think, oh, Bible's intolerant, bigoted, and all this, right? Yet if you take those same two teachings over to say the Middle East, the Muslims will look at love your enemies. They're gonna go, What are you crazy? You can't love your enemies. You got to crush your enemies. You'll never get anywhere if you love your enemies. But they go, you know, the Bible's right about the sexual stuff, hmm. right? You see, you would expect if a revelation did come from God, it would agree, it would, uh, it would disagree with everybody somewhere, right? And it turns out that's exactly what you find with the Bible. Hmm. It does disagree with every culture on some point. So how do you, let's say you're listening to this, or you at some point you come to the point where, all right, <laughs> I've explored enough of this Christianity thing. I I think it's true. Um, yeah, maybe I believe, believe in, but how do I surrender to or trust in? What? How would you advise someone who's at that point where it, it's like, well, how do you take that step? Well, first of all, the concept of just God is kind of an abstraction, right? Like, what do you mean by God? Okay, this self, this spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent, moral, loving, just, all-knowing creator. How do I love that? What does that mean, right? It's hard. But if that creator that self-existent being decided to try and communicate with us by putting on human flesh and actually came into the creation that he created and allowed the very people that rebelled against him to torture and kill him so he would not have to punish them then it's not an abstraction anymore jesus actually gives a personality to God that we might not be able to comprehend if we just think about God's divine attributes. But when we see a person like Jesus, who, as the writer of Hebrews says, is the, the image of the invisible God, then we get more of an idea of what love is, because love ultimately is sacrifice. That's what Jesus did for us, sacrifice. He sacrificed himself to save us. And so we need to concentrate on Jesus and what he came and did for us. Then we can have more of a sense of gratitude for who God is and more of a sense of the true attributes of what, of what God, God is or who God is. He's not just a spaceless, timeless, immaterial being. He is a being that decided to put flesh over his deity and to come save us. This is why, by the way, my son and I wrote a book recently called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Because so many Harry of Harry Potter the is in there, Cena. Yeah, yeah. Harry Potter's in here, believe it or not. Harry Potter. Anyway, um <laughs> because there's if you love any of those superhero characters, you're gonna love Jesus because they're all modeled after Jesus. In fact, even JK JK Rowling, who as you know, wrote the Harry Potter series, said uh, that she basically took the story from the Bible, that Harry Potter, for example, is a type of Christ in his world. In fact, if you look at, do you like Harry Potter? Yeah, I do. Okay. I grew up watching them with my dad. You what? I grew up watching them with my dad. 
Okay. Well, think about Harry Potter. There's four aspects of Harry Potter's life that are very interesting. Number one, he's prophesied to be the savior of his world before he's born, right? Secondly, he has to live a moral life in order to be that savior. Thirdly, he dies and rises from the dead in order to save his world. And then fourthly, his followers have to put their trust in him in order to ultimately defeat Voldemort, the Satan figure. Does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He's prophesied before he is physically born. He has to live a perfectly moral life in order to be the Savior. He can't, there can't be any sin in him. He dies and rises from the dead, and then his followers have to trust in him in order to ultimately defeat evil, the Satan figure, or the literal Satan. So J.K. Rowling is saying, yep, took the whole thing from the Bible, but I never wanted to talk about it because I didn't want readers to know where I was going. Hmm. And there's a lot more than just those parallels. Because what, is, what does Harry Potter do? He sacrifices in order to save his friends, save his world. That's what Jesus does. Now, when you, when, if you like Harry Potter, you're going to love Jesus, because Jesus really did that. It's not just fiction. He really came into this world to do that. And the only question is, are we going to put our trust in him? Because we can't make it on our own. We've all fallen short. We all deserve punishment. Because there's only two things you can get in the afterlife. You can either get justice or you can get grace. I don't want justice. Do you want justice? I mean, if I got justice, I would be punished. I don't want justice. I want grace. That's what Jesus provides. He provides grace. Do you have any final thoughts or uh, questions? Uh, maybe just thoughts. I don't know. Um, no, not really. I feel like my question, I don't know. Um, but I've enjoyed uh, just listening. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Frank? Do you, do you have anything you want to say to Sina? As we well, I would up? just say, you know, um, whatever you do, just keep seeking. Like, don't, don't give up seeking, you know, I, look, I wasn't a Christian when I was your age. So I became a Christian later and you never know what's going to come up in your life who you're going to run into, what kind of things you're going to learn. But as soon as I realized that Christianity was indeed true, I said it would be would be foolish not to trust in it. And why, why wouldn't I do that? And usually it's because we don't want it to be true, because it's going to cause us some pain in our lives. And it probably will, because you're going to have to give up certain things you don't want to give up, not in order to be saved, but because you love Jesus, right? Um. Jesus calls us to self-denial. He doesn't call call he doesn't call us to do whatever we want whenever we want. Yet on the other hand, there's a certain amount of peace that you get through the Holy Spirit when you do know that you're trusting in your creator and you get your identity from your creator. You don't get your identity from achieving things. You don't achieve your identity. You re you receive your identity. There's nothing you do to achieve it. You just receive it. It's free. So there's a certain amount of peace as the storms of life come up and they come up for everyone. You can be peaceful in the midst of the storm because you know, ultimately um, the creator is going to take you to him no matter what happens. 
Frank, do you think Jesus is worth it, even if it means maybe your parents are shocked or disappointed in you, or it changes your relationship with your friends, or it changes, I mean, if it costs you everything, is he mm-hmm. still is he still worth it, in your opinion, and from what you've observed after all these years in ministry and through your own journey? Well, let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose that we have to, each of us have to work in a factory and we hate the job. It's awful. It's doing the same mundane, mundane thing over and over again. Um, but let's suppose um, I'm only paid $40,000 a year to do this job. And that's what I'm going to get after a year of working. But you're going to get $10 million after a year of working. You're probably going to be able to put up with that job a lot better than I am, right? Because you're going to get 10 million. You can skip through every day going, this job isn't that bad. You can do this, right? Because you're thinking that the end game, you're thinking about the end game. You're thinking of how it's going to turn out. In other words, your ultimate circumstances are going to succeed or they're going to be good for you. I'm on the other hand going, this is awful. I, I can't, I don't even know if I can do another day. Why is that? Because I know the ultimate outcome isn't the same outcome you have. And you can get through anything. If you're if I'm if, if, if the employer's gonna pay you 10 million after after a year, you can you can shovel dog poop for a year, right? You'd be able to do it because you know the end game. And the same thing is true when it comes to Christianity. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna be difficult in this life because the culture is turning against Christianity. In fact, Jesus even says, he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword that I'm going to divide mother from father, daughter from, or, or I'm going to divide uh, daughter and and mother and son and father. That's because that's just the way it is, that people are going to be divided over my name. The only question is, is jesus really who he said he is because if some people choose not to accept that that's on them god gives them the free will to reject them but why should you reject the truth because other people don't like it Hmm. right the other people aren't god you god is god so Hmm. final question we ask everybody we've asked you Mm -hmm. before as well finding something real is about a journey towards restoration eternity Mm -hmm. authenticity and love it's an acronym restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love, which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Give me those uh, choices again. Yeah. Restoration. These are things we can find in relationship with Jesus. Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Well, they're all important, but if there was no eternity, none of it would ultimately matter, right? As I said before, there's no, no, no eternity, in the end, it doesn't matter whether you're a murderer or a missionary. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad because there's no ultimate outcome. But if there is an eternity and God provides the eternity to you for free based on what he's done, why wouldn't you take that? Why wouldn't you say, yeah, I want that. I don't get it. I don't get why people don't want it to be true. Why wouldn't you want it to be true? Because you love your life now. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. But you can still have an abundant life now, even if you do trust in Jesus. That's the whole point. Yeah. You may have to deny certain things, but look, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, you have to deny certain things. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I got married, it put a big damper on my dating life. <laughs> okay. I just couldn't keep, I just couldn't keep doing what I was doing before I got married. Right. There's always restraints, no matter whether you believe or not. The only question is what are the right restraints? Yeah. Well, Frank Turek, thank you so much for making the time mm -hmm. for this conversation. Definitely memorable. I will not forget it. And uh, Sina, I know you don't want to talk very much. I This will probably be one of our last recordings, but I just want to say thank you for being here. And maybe one day you'll want to listen to these um, in the future. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.